Hi everyone. Today we have Will. Say hi, Will. Hello. <laughs> We're going to um, talk about some good subjects here. Will's given us three topics, but we're both Sajos, so God knows where we'll end up. We'll see how we go. <laughs> um, Will, I want to start with, I think with you, I really want to give them, the um, audience a bit of a background because you're a twin and you've got an interesting story. Why don't you start where you were born and take me through up to uni? Sure. Um, I was born in Hong Kong and um, I've got a twin brother, Phil, who... Uh, Identical twin. Identical twin, yes. And uh, yes, rhyming names, Will and Phil. Um, <laughs> thanks to our parents. <laughs> but also, I think, you know, I guess our parents wanted us to end up being like royalty. Which one? William and Prince Philip. Oh, nice. Um, Who's the better looking one? I think it changes. Just like, <laughs> Depending it on changes the haircut. On, you know, when we were growing up, it was always like different heights. Would always be one being taller than the other. So oh, really? Like that. Um, oh, wow. And yes, our parents would always dress us up in the same clothes. And uh, obviously, we don't do that now. Um, but uh, yeah, we moved um, to uh, Australia when we were three, started up in uh, Melbourne, and then uh, basically, uh, because of my dad's job uh, when we were five years old, we moved back to Hong Kong. Oh. For a year. Yeah. Um, and basically, we really struggled with the schooling system there. We had to learn Chinese. We had to do maths as a, in year two over there. And basic, and this, the maths were the level that we were learning where we were in year five in Australia. So that wow. Was how for level two, for year yeah, two. Year two. Wow. So we really struggled and hated it, oh, especially like me, I hated it being yeah. over there and our parents decided to come back to Australia after a year mm-hmm. and uh, moved to Brisbane, so... Bris Vegas. Bris, or Bris Venice. Uh, Bris Venice. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, um, tell me about when you were younger and you changed schools. Yeah, so I started year eight and I guess it wasn't the type of high school that what high school I imagined and envisioned myself being and there were so many students I guess I was just lost in the crowd and Mm. it was a very foreign experience for me and um, I knew my best friends from primary school they all went to a fancy prestigious GPS school and um that would wear straw hats, blazers in winter. <laughs> and right. as a 12 year old, I, I guess I kind of felt I wanted to do that. And I felt mm. like that's the high school that experience that I want. Mm. So without my parents knowing, I um, looked up the website and just emailed the school in terms of asking if they had scholarships on offer, knowing that my parents would never be able to afford a private school education. You did this at 12? For me, yes. Wow. And I remember going, visiting the school, um, and it's one of, I, I think, the most beautiful schools in, in Brisbane um, mm. for a boys' school. And I went into the reception and sat in the chapel waiting to, to have my name called for the exam. I sat with my mum and I remember um, just really looking out to the ovals and their amazing resources and the buildings and telling my mum, you know, I really want this. Mm. Um, and I was in the chapel uh, and basically I prayed and said, you know, to God, I would love to go here. <laughs> help me and yeah I ended up uh, being offered a bursary and my parents my dad especially said um, that it wasn't a scholarship and that uh, they can't really um, they won't consider sending me there because they still had to pay this some some of this mm. part of the tuition fee mm-hmm. that was thanks to my mum who convinced my dad and said well at least it's not the full amount and <laughs> yeah so persuaded I'm so, him yeah absolutely and so I'm actually just incredibly 
grateful and humbled that um, she convinced him. And mm. uh, I got this incredible opportunity where in year nine, I got my straw hat and my blazer <laughs> and started going to a different school. And, um, and left Phil behind. No, not that way. <laughs> I mean, Phil, Phil really loved the school he went to, um, the mm. public school, and really was really able to be inspired and, you know, his potential really grew by going there. But at the same time, I guess when you see it every day that um, I had this new opportunity, a different opportunity mm. that had so much, that meant so much more in terms of the teaching and the resources and what was on offer in terms mm. of my academic life but also my co-curricular life um you know I had to I kind of felt like I had to make the most of everything because mm. I could see it every day and be reminded that well there'll be so many people who would have been like me back in year eight as a 12 year old thinking I want to go to a school like this but I would never have the means to do it and I was given that I'm Chance. surprised that 12 year olds even think like that, but <laughs> I suppose. I guess I mean, that was and, a very special thing. And, and as, a, as a twin, in a way, it's nice to sort of find your own identity. Absolutely. Um, I guess, yeah, I, um, our parents had always put us, like in primary school, we went to obviously a public school, um, but we would always be in the same, a different class, uh, sorry. We'd mm. always be in the same school, but different class. Mm. And... For us, that was important to our parents because they understood that it was important for us to be independent and to really grow in our own way. Mm. And that is... And you're both exceptional. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to, to really have been afforded that chance to be my own self in a school where people wouldn't call me Phil and treat me like the same, <laughs> that we're both the same person was very refreshing. And mm. that really brought us closer together in terms of my relationship with my brother. It enabled us to every day would rush home and tell each other what was going on in our respective schools and what was going on in our lives, our friends and um, mm. how everything was going and it really transformed our our friendship that's interesting i I think that's i want to talk about relationships um as well like and oh your relationships with people with society because i'm interested in two things it's one you're um you've grown up in aussie born in hong kong and you're twins right so finding your identity in a couple of ways you've had to do. I mean, I've known you for a while and I've never thought of you as anything other than Aussie for me, <laughs> but also um, as an individual. Hmm. But I think you've carved your way through. I'm interested in um, in being from Hong Kong, but being that Australian, how, how that's been in your life. Sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting that... Being in Australia, to have not really thought about these things, the primary school that I went to with Phil um, in Brisbane uh, was a very multicultural school. Mm. It was next to the uni, so a lot of um, Mm. international students, especially um, more mature students, would have their children at the school. And Mm -hmm. they were our friends. And uh, I guess people who were very much different we got to learn to really enjoy and to learn and to work together and to play together and that really formed my understanding that this is who I am you know as a child you don't think about these things in no. terms of oh I'm different I yeah I come from a different country we're just all kids yeah and that's how I saw the world Absolutely. It's like we're all kids. Mm. And, um, you know, I guess I was very lucky to have had such an experience where people from different walks of life and different cultures uh, 
in a in a innocent way could really have fun and um, be friends. Mm. And so that that's basically shaped my understanding. And it's fascinating to to think that when I moved to Sydney um, as an eighteen year old to start university, my identity in terms of my ethnic background came more to the forefront in terms of me being consciously aware that oh I am different that I am ethnically Chinese I look Chinese and a lot of that has happened because uh, because of how Sydney is there's more people and more cultures but more not just more cultures and more more people from the same type of background, but there are very much is more concentrated. Mm. In Sydney, we've got, in a, from a spatial sense in our cities, we've got suburbs which are characterised by ethnicity mm. that are enclaves of certain cultures. And it's mm. a great thing, but at the same time, it concentrates that in a way where... Mm. Uh, people who are different are different Mm. and I never experienced that in Brisbane which is most people would think that's odd Brisbane is Brisbane and Mm. why would it surely it's less multicultural but then you know a global city like Sydney but that's not the case Mm. for me Brisbane was because it was less in your face the the multiculturalism and the um, diversity that meant there was more harmony in a way. Mm, that's While very here, interesting. Yeah, you see, you see it, and you know, I would question in terms of what that meant in terms of me being an Australian, which I've never questioned before in my life until first year of university. I, well, it's interesting because I think I've spoken to a lot of um, Chinese students who, you know, have weren't hadn't spent hardly any time in in Australia um and then you have Chinese students who have been in Australia for a long time and that they the obviously different people obviously very different people but people clump them all in the same group and so I would have some Chinese students say but we're different I'm I'm different and <laughs> I'm different to other people and I don't want everyone to just clump me as I'm this type of person um, and that I think that's what happens when you get um, people that come in and stay in, in live in the same areas like even if you're an Aussie and you go to London when I was younger and I went to London all the Aussies lived in Earl's Court mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's like oh that's where the Aussies live and this is what Aussies are like and and I, a stereotype. Yeah, absolutely a stereotype. And I didn't like that. But I I was the type of person who wasn't gonna live where all the Aussies lived. I didn't go to England to do that. I wanted to meet other people. But yeah, it's that happens and I think what you're saying, the volume makes a difference. That's right. And it's mm. and it's not that, you know, I know I'm not saying this because I've personally experienced um, racism. Mm in Sydney um, or let alone anywhere else um, directly um, but it's a feeling you have which is very difficult to explain it's not because I've been attacked based on my race no, no. it's because I feel like oh wow people do in a subconscious way in a biased way there is you know people yeah. do treat me differently because of how I look yes and that's never happened before yeah and I feel that it's a feeling yeah, and that happened in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's it's um I think it happens to a lot of people in different ways, but it's it's as simple as sort of just that visual side yeah. that you're saying. Oh, okay, there's a lot of people well wow, actually I think I'm in this group, but I look like this group. <laughs> mm. So it's even for you, you sort of go but you didn't have that in Brisbane. No. Yeah. And I guess, you know, to compound it in a way is always being a twin, being identical. You know, I've got a lot of mates and friends who've said, oh, it's um, fantastic being a twin. I'd love to have a twin. But in some ways, you, you, for your whole life, you, it's important. It kind of almost becomes 
very critical to your own identity identity that you are yourself and your own person mm. because people always just think you're the same person as yes. your brother and um but in most ways people don't care whether you're phil, will or phil it's just like yeah you're the twins <laughs> and to break away from that becomes mm. important because you don't want to you're an individual think, yeah and it's interesting because a lot of people also ask us oh yeah so did you growing up did you always play pranks would you always be the other person and trick trick everyone and for us it's like no we that would be a worse thing to do because people already think like that so why yeah. would, do we want to do that on purpose and, and then for you guys it's interesting because <laughs> it's probably your personalities very much need freedom and individuality or something but other personalities as twins might be different they might be really happy being seen you know the, together do you know any other twins um not so much in terms mm. of um, mm. as friends uh but but that's not to say that we're we don't have that relationship yeah we do like yeah of course phil is still and will always be my very best friend yeah and that relationship no other friends can ever replace because we are you know to imagine think sharing your deepest thoughts with someone who exactly knows how you think and how mm. you are that is magical and that is so rare mm. to just have someone you know who is exactly like you and to be able to empathize Mm. And to be able to understand, but also be critical in a different way, because it's not you, but at the same time thinks like you is—it's yeah. marvelous. Do, and do you have any of the twin things that people say, like the telepathy? Twin telepathy—that's <laughs> what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, I guess as kids, there would be two. None of them were. Sp- special powers at all <laughs> one would be and they're all super embarrassing um <laughs> one would be as kids grow up growing up we would always go need to go to the bathroom at the same time <laughs> and our home only had one one toilet oh my god <laughs> so someone would always be waiting oh that's funny <laughs> <laughs> um oh wow the second thing would be i guess yeah we, when we would get um Silly pop songs stuck in our heads. Mm. Um, and one of us would start singing it out loud. Uh, it would be at the exact point oh, wow. that we would have it playing in our heads. Really? Like, oh, wow. Like, it's, wow. it's the same. <laughs> so, that's amazing. Don't know if it's coincidence, but um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> Back to, um, I want to talk a little bit more. Like, you went to Milan to do your mm. master's degree. Will's an architect, by the way, <laughs> and many other things. Um, not, not quite an architect. I can't not call myself that. All oh, right, all yeah, right. Not yet. <laughs> in but any other country. Hopefully soon to be. <laughs> mm. But you went to Milan. So did you find any of that, you know, oh, I look like, I look like I'm Chinese, but I speak like I'm Australian? And no one even notices that? Did you find no one noticed that? Or I guess Milan was just a whole different thing completely. Yeah. Um, if you didn't speak Italian or looked Italian... Right. Absolutely, was, absolutely. Yeah. That was it. Like, um, you know, I had a lot of challenges that I faced while living in Milan and a lot of it was because I couldn't speak the language and mm. because I wasn't Italian. It was just... As simple as that. Like, yeah. Um, I think a country like that doesn't is still grappling with a lot of issues in terms of identity, especially of the history. Mm. It is not Australia. It is n- no. not built on migrants mm. coming in and mm. building a society. Mm. And so it had nothing to do with me being Chinese or being Asian or it was just because I'm, I'm not Italian. Exactly. Just, so it's just, just not Italian. There's yes. Italian and then there's not Italian. There's everyone else. And it's quite funny because we've spent a lot of time in Italy and we've got some great friends in Italy. But the way they speak about other races sometimes, we always go, <laughs> we're sort of in shock. Mm. But 
And they don't mean it in the way they say it. It's just sort of like, oh, no, we've got a Filipino working for us or something. And you think, well, you don't sort of just say it, but they'll just say it yeah. in a way that some, um, yeah, like you said, you're Italian and then you're not, or you're not Italian. Because it doesn't matter well, it's not what a you're not and how you're not. Yes, yeah. You're not, and it's a blanket you're stereotype. Not. And um, I think as more people, um, as migrants and um, are looking for work in Europe, including in Italy, mm. they don't really know how to deal with that in terms of what that means for the country and what it means for their identity. And of mm. course, it uh, becomes a threat to them. And, mm. you know, so very nationalistic and um, they mm. hold on to being proud of their history mm. more than anything. Mm. Wow. And yeah, you see that, especially with refugees and the European crisis. Yes. Of how they mm. just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it challenges them to think about these things because they haven't really mm. been been part of it. And how long were you there for? Um, for the, for for just over two years. Yeah. Well, that would have been obviously very challenging, but also completely um, a, a great learning experience in a way, like opening your eyes, because you don't really understand. I'm a big believer in you don't understand what we have in Australia unless you go live somewhere else. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then you really understand what we have. I uh, remember Skyping my parents after my first week in Milan. We had just done Welcome Week and um, my first few days of class. And um, I told my parents, I'm not going to end up with a Masters of Architecture here. I'm going to end up graduating, being qualified with a master's of patience. <laughs> and I guess that's what I end up getting from from my experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of it also, for me, was about understanding a lot of the experiences and um, opportunities I've had and the support I've had in Australia which I've completely taken for granted and I needed to learn that it was important and valuable for me to recognize that not everyone goes through what we have culturally in Australia but mm. also in terms of education mm. and, and the type of education that we're afforded here mm. um, and it was fantastic during my whole time there I thought of a lot of really wonderful people and supporters and whether that those were my teachers or bosses mm. or the people I worked with, um, you know, even in your team, mm. Michelle, mm. Um, who had always been there. Mm. And uh, it really doesn't happen, happen in other countries. And I got to see that. And the fact that it's... Uh, it's it's really about why and how we learn and how we grow and for people to really see not just your true self but your full potential mm. you know, over there especially in milan a lot of it is about appearances mm. it has nothing to do with your actual substance mm. your integrity um did you every, wear Prada every day or what? Come on. No, I, no, I, was, <laughs> I was told um, if you don't wear the correct things to university, your professors will basically judge you and evaluate wow. and give you results based, like as in mark you on for your, you your assessment based on wow. how you look. And um, well, lucky you're a good-looking boy. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, the wow. fact that we can wear thongs <laughs> to uni in Australia yeah. is a luxury yeah. <laughs> in a different sense. And the lecturers aren't <laughs> going to judge you on that. They're going to judge you on your work. <laughs> and who you are and, um, yeah, wow. why you want to be here. I suppose, yeah, it was Milan, right? <laughs> <laughs> One subject that you wanted to address was conflict. Mm. Um, conflict in the work environment or just life in general? I think conflicts in terms of um, the conflict you have with people, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's at work or 
um, on a personal relationship level, I think um, it's conflict, especially currently in our time where a lot of people in the world have very different and diverging mm. views mm. and um, understanding how you find common ground and how compromise mm. becomes increasingly difficult when people hold on so much to what they think is right mm. and more and more we know that right it's not right and wrong anymore it's just all these different thoughts and opinions and it's it's just very hard to and things come with context so I th and people's views come with context and all the rest of it. Like your your experience of Milan is what you lived, right? Someone else might go there and have a different experience and have a you know and have a different view on it. I think conflict is an interesting, th and this is just my opinion, but I think with especially with millennials, because we've brought millennials up to and really sort of guided them along and tried to do everything to make life good for them. We've, we've protected them so much that they haven't learnt necessarily how to deal with conflict because they're not necessarily expecting it because the parents have done everything to try and make you want that. Okay. I'll try and get that for you. You know, whereas I think some generations before, if you want something, you know, I'm again, I'm generalizing, but the parents were like, Bad luck, you're not having that, right? <laughs> it wasn't someone trying to convince because the money wasn't there or the the children just weren't treated as if they were special or important, really. So we didn't, we never got what we wanted. And I think if you grow up, even though you have to fight for it, but you get what you want, then when conflict comes along, it's harder to deal with in a way. Whereas if you grow up and you're always used to it, <laughs> in a way, not getting what you want I think it um I, I think it sort of sets you differently you don't expect to get it is what I mean I also so feel you... like we're also stubborn in the way of yes we expect to not need to deal with conflict yes but also because inherently we don't want conflict I think that's a difference uh, that's a good point, but I, I think a lot of people don't want conflict. There are certain personalities who love it and some that don't. Um, but, yeah, you and so in a way it's sort of like you think it shouldn't exist or would be better if it didn't exist. Yes, in terms of a value. Yes. In terms of understanding that, well, why, why do we need to fight? Why do we need to... When we can just all, you know, in a very, um, I guess, in a naive way, why can't we just all live happily together? Yes. Well, I'm glad you said naive way. <laughs> I like, I agree. Like, why, why can't we? It'd be good. Uh, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier. And we wouldn't have to be worried all the time with what's going on in the world. But I think, and you're a creative person. So a lot of creativity comes out of conflict, comes out of, you know, you do some of those brainstorming sessions where someone has got a stupid idea over here and then we smash it out together and you end up something really good here. But the process getting through sometimes can be really hard. But if you don't have that conflict, if you just have someone in front of you that agrees with you, you're never going to end up with anything good in a way, unless you've a miracle and you've hit it straight off so conflict can deliver great results if it's managed the right way and I think conflict is all in in how you see it from yourself so I think uh, I'm trying to think of a good example it's all about confidence in a way right so if we're confident to to know, to have an open mind, to listen to somebody else, to have an agreement and not feel like it hurt us, or to have a disagreement and not feel like it hurts us, then it's okay. So we have to get to that place, and that's a very hard place to get to. But it's a bit like what I was saying to you earlier 
I always use this example of when I first went to London. This is a bit of a weird example, but when I went to London and people would hassle me that I was a convict and I was young and it, it upset me. It really upset me and I was crying. I was in the bathroom crying. And so that was conflict for me and I didn't know how to handle it. You know, like I didn't like what they said, but I didn't tell them I didn't like it. Or I might have said I didn't like it. I fought it, I think, and then I went and got upset. So it wasn't a great, you know, I thought it was rude and horrible. The next time I went back, which was some years later, I was older and wiser and someone called me a convict. And I, I handled it very differently. Then I, I took it on. Instead of trying to fight it, instead of defending it, I just made a joke out of it. I just said, absolutely, I'm a convict. I will steal bread from my family. I will do what I have to do to support my family and I'm a convict. Cool. Next. What's the next subject? You know what I mean? So sometimes I think it's all in the, all in the way we take it, which is hard sometimes. So in the professional sense, and I've probably used this example in Anula's podcast, in the professional sense, as a professional, I think you just, you have to put on the table your opinion but then you can't expect it to be taken. And then you walk away, right? So your opinion, someone might have a different opinion. You can, as long as you listen to it, you might still believe your opinion's right, but but you can't get upset that if it's not taken. Do you, do you know what I mean? You know, if someone say yes, or yes. <laughs> he's nodding and no one can see you nod. Yes. Um. I'm very much deeply listening to Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having some thoughts on my own. <laughs> Good. Well, give me your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it also comes back when you mention millennials is our our idealism in terms of how we see the world as being ideal. And but I don't, in a way, I don't want you to lose that, right? I think being young, the be- benefit of being young is you actually don't know a lot. You think you do, which is fine, but you don't. And that's good because if you knew it all, then you end up miserable, right? <laughs> it's best that you don't in a way. But I guess it's also cutting through a lot of that and understanding how we can better approach our thoughts and how we influence and how, what we bring to the table. And a lot of it is needing to recognize that conflict is part of it because of differences. Yes. And, but I think we, we get um, confused and annoyed and pissed off when people what we think is super logical and what we think is like, this is the right thing to do. Not because of, um, not because of politics and not because of people's personal biases, but because we think what we're trying to achieve will help everyone else, you know, in a non-selfish way. And when we, when other people can't see that, we kind of don't know how to process that. I'm going to give another example. I went to Iran. Um, I went to Iran for work, and before I went, the the views of people were were crazy. You know, how big my hairdresser or people like that. I'd be saying I'm going to Iran, and they'd be like, oh, "Are you scared? Are you worried?" or you know, just the Western view on Iran, which I had as well. Like, I'm open-minded. I've travelled a lot. I know a lot of people from a lot of different countries. But even I was, I thought I knew. I'm a feminist. I thought I was going to be completely against what I believed and all sorts of things, right? But when I got there, it was completely different to what I thought. And I it upset me so much. I was so emotional the whole week I was there because I was, I think I was angry with myself because of what I thought I believed or, but then I was also confused because I thought, 
I thought I didn't agree with the way they lived, but then I'm watching people and they're, they're beautiful, wonderful people with families who are living a happy life and, you know, like, they're just like us, of course, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But the way we sort mm -hmm. of isolate and think of just a few incidences and that the whole country must be like that or it just really changed my whole view on and i don't know where my view has landed still today and the fact that you've experienced that yes um directly and seen it yourself it makes a massive yes. difference you don't know and sometimes that's what happens with other people because we don't we only <sighs> We don't scratch the surface. We don't dig in deeper to really know what, where they're coming from. I think millennials are an absolutely unique group of people in time. And I don't know if it's ever going to be so unique again. And the reason I say that is because all of a sudden it went from me sitting at a dinner table as Gen X with my parents and we... The only way I could find out anything, um, learn about China, learn about the world, whatever, was through an encyclopedia or to go to the library and get books and all the rest of it, or to learn off somebody else, right? So my parents had lived longer than me, so they knew more than I did, and that's sort of how society worked, right? So I was never sitting at the dinner table knowing more than them about things. Well, I, well, I couldn't really back it up i'd have to go and research and, you know as if i would do that right I, it just wasn't it wasn't presented me to do, for me there was no reason for me to do that that's right. for millennials you got the internet and so traveling a lot too you're traveling a lot and but even without traveling you can google what's going on in china you can what's going on here you can google anything right you can get the answer and you can say to your parents you're sitting at the dinner table, you can tell them what's going on in the world. And and they didn't know it. So the parents are going, Oh wow, oh wow, my kid's smart. Wow, he's so smart. They know they know more than me. You hear parents say this a lot. Oh, they know way more than I know. Which is not true <laughs> for a fact, right? That's not true. But in that one area, maybe. But because they They'd never met young people that knew so much before. They talked you up like you were gods <laughs> in a way. Wow, how do you know that? So because you... you had that, you expected that. When you walked into a job, you expected them to... You thought you were equal. You... But don't you think that um, the time in terms of access and that knowledge acquisition, if you call it that way, that it with technology has given the generate this generation a different way a complete at a different speed a completely yeah ultra speed of gaining information absolutely and how we process information um changes us because we are now much more broader in terms of being able to google anything and everything and doesn't that change in our thoughts and how we think and what we can do? Yes, but it gives you knowledge. It doesn't give you experience. And experience gives you the context of life, mm -hmm. right? So Absolutely. you can, let's use management as an example. You can read, you can do a course online from Harvard on management. You could sit there and do that now and have be able to talk about it as if you're a professor. You can find out everything you need. This is what you do when you're manage, managing people, blah, 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 blah. You could walk in, give me a management role, I know how to do it. And I, but you wouldn't know how to do it unless you've done it. Because you'll have all that theory and anyone who studied anything knows theory is not the same as when it's in practice because it's, Quite frankly, textbooks are written by people who've never really done it, <laughs> to That's be honest, nice. to be honest. So then you've got all this knowledge on whatever it is and you think it's fact. You think it's fact, you believe it's fact because for lots of reasons. So, 
And I think I don't think the the generation before has helped because they they were just things all just changed. All this knowledge was there, and because they were brought up differently, they weren't looking to have that knowledge to brag about it. You know what I mean? They didn't have to do that. So they they were doing whatever else and bring up a family and all the rest of it. So when you threw it at them, they didn't compete with you. Now I think it'd be different. Now it'd be like, well, hang on. Now you'd get a little bit more competition. That's why I think Gen Z is going to be different. But I think millennials was a unique space in time when you actually knew more than adults. It mm. appeared to you that you knew more than sure. the, them because that's how it came across. So it's natural that when you walk into your lecture theatre or when you walk into a work that you think that they that you deserve respect when you haven't done anything yet. <laughs> I always use this example. You've just rocked up. You haven't done it yet. And you're dealing with people that have been doing it for five, ten years. This is That's the big conflict with millennials. And they're hurting themselves because what happens is the egos of the, the Gen X or, or, or baby boomers, well, not only their egos, but their experiences like, this person knows nothing yet. They think they do, but they don't. So they dismiss you straight away, in a way. They dismiss you because, and I've heard it for years, I've heard people say, oh, I'm sick of hiring young people. They walk in, think they own the place and, you know, and, and don't really understand, like, and won't do it the way we need it done. And I was, for a long, for a couple of years, that sort of vibe was getting out there and that was really worrying. And it was wrong. It was wrong. It's just that they weren't taking the time to teach them because they thought they were too arrogant and all the rest of it. But if millennials were taught as, as much as they were taught that they're special and they're smart and all the rest of it, and they are, like I'm a big believer in you're smarter and you, you have more capability because of what you've been able to collect um, knowledge-wise and all the rest of it. What we Because of that, we haven't taught you how to deal with people. We haven't taught you how it's, it's <laughs> when, it, when it comes to work, it's not easy. It's, you know, it's all about um, egos. It's all about politics. It's all about <laughs> different types of personalities and all the rest of it. And whether they feel happy with, you know, with themselves, let alone with you. But you have to be able to sort of walk if you walk in and just expect respect do you understand mm. that that's not going to get it for you because if you all i have to do is say if you imagine you know how long have you been doing what you're doing now just over five years just over five years so if a uni student walked in now and started at the firm but expected to be doing what you're doing what would you think <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah, you're right <laughs> you know but we as a society we haven't taught you that we we've i don't know why i think i think it's probably because we were blown away i think we were impressed and blown away and went wow they know what they're doing so we stepped back we didn't go, yeah, but they don't know how to deal with that person because he's an egomaniac and he's not going to listen to them, right? We, and we haven't taught them how to deal with that. So the trick is you've got to give them respect first. You've got to find something that you like about them and show that respect and then you'll get it back. But you'll never get respect if you don't show it. Yeah, I mean, who does... Look at our leaders like that. It's a good example in a way. Like who does Donald Trump respect? For example, you know, maybe we shouldn't use him as an example. But, you know, it's whereas someone like Obama came across as very respectful, you know, very different. And a lot more people respected him, whether they knew what he was doing or anything. They respected him. You know what I mean? They didn't need to know the detail, but it was because he was respectful. All right. So I think that's the first place to start.
The the last one that you want to talk about was net networking. Mm-hmm. So networking. What's your experience with networking? I think it's interesting because I I very much think it's important to to always be interested in different ideas to always be more of a generalist than a specialist and that for me has always meant I am intrigued and excited about meeting different people and new people and having Mm. very much conversations which is outside of my field where I can very much just listen and learn Mm. but at the same time also understanding and recognizing that a lot of opportunities come from networking and it's it becomes difficult because you don't i guess for me i don't know how to approach networking and i in some ways it goes back to relationships uh because a lot of the people i surround myself and want to be want to network with are people who are different to me Mm. so that that also makes it different to just making making new connection or uh in terms of a social one so how does it how's that different in terms of maybe it's not no i don't i don't think it is different i think networking is a challenging thing in a way i think for some people some people are really good at it because networking is all about small talk. And really, I think I've always thought that some men have an advantage because they just talk sport. <laughs> they just go in and go, oh, what's going on with the cricket? What's going on with <laughs> Collingwood or, or what have you? And they they just find a connection straight away. So I, I think the key with networking is, and you just sort of said it in what you're saying, is being interested in the other person. So you, you've got to actually be genuinely interested. If, you, if you're doing it just to, for what you can get out of it, people will see right through that, I think, nowadays. And let alone um, face-to-face. So for a young person to meet with someone else, how do you make the contact for a start? How do you get in front of them? You know, it, it's always better to go through somebody you know. It's always better to be introduced, and that's the best way to do it. It it comes back to manners in a way. If someone introduces you, you make sure that you follow up straight away. And you never know know where people are going to be and who they're going to be and what job they're going to be in. And what changes. Things change. Things change, and people, you know... So people should always be very careful about their interactions with people and, you know, make sure that you have, you, you're respectful to them no matter what, right? It comes up to kind of learning to be patient, which is what I was talking about um, yeah. before. And because a lot of it comes down to timing, doesn't it? Absolutely. You can never predict that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, sometimes when you're in a busy job, you, you don't have time to talk to anyone. Like you just, you can barely keep up with your meetings and your emails and all the rest of it. And someone's trying to, or you know, you might be introduced to somebody and you on LinkedIn or something and they don't have time to respond. And they just, and it seems like they've forgotten you, but they haven't. Um, you know, there's just so much going on in their, their world. But I think if you get to meet someone face to face, you make sure that you show interest in them. And that that it's genuine, right? That's the best way to connect with people is be interested in them. And and it's all about, it's like relationships. It's friendships, it's relationships, it's work relationships. They've sort of got to be mutually beneficial. You've got to be able to add value to them. If you can add value to them and they'll add value to you, that's a good relationship. You know, that's sort of how we are with our friendships. And that's how work works as well. So... You know, you might talk to somebody and you know that they're interested in something and then you see it somewhere else, information on that, you send it to them. You know, you yes. take the effort to go, I'm going to pass this on to mm-hmm. such and such because I know they are interested in it. So it's, and there's nothing in that for you. Sometimes it's about being generous. 
with your knowledge, generous with your time if you haven't and, and things like that. Um, but just being genuine and then people will continue to introduce you and, and link you up with people if they're impressed by you. But it's not enough to be good. You've got to actually be considerate. <laughs> you know, you've got to be respectful and all the rest of it. And then I think it, it works much easier. How much does a lot of the the people I want to talk to or to meet is are people who makes me feel that I I don't really have enough to be to offer to be not yes partly so but also because obviously we're not in different levels we're probably seeking out someone who is a leader or in a senior role or a mentor. And they're always considered to be doing better things than you are. Or, and why do you want to meet um, them? Because you're impressed with what they've done? That you want to learn from them or want to collaborate with them or you're interested mm-hmm. in them. But then you feel like you're on a different, a lower level than they are. And so, I mean, is it helpful to offer some something, anything that you well, have, I would, or? I would approach it differently like i think if they're higher up um chances are they they'll get approached by a lot of people you've got to remember that um and so but that would be the case for a lot of younger people and so the way to do it though is if someone really impresses you or you're really interested in the work they're doing just tell them that just approach them like it could be on on LinkedIn or whatever, you know, whatever means like that, or how, if you get a chance to talk to them at all, that's all you do. You don't want to, you don't need to get anything else out of it except show respect. You know what I mean? So you're just sort of saying, I love the work you're doing and it's adding value to the world. Thank you for doing that. Walk away and expect nothing from that. That's step one. You know what I mean? That because that rarely happens. That rarely happens where people just go, thank you for what you're doing. That's very different in terms of what we've been taught, especially in terms of an entrepreneurial sense, in terms of ourselves mm. as a business, as a, our personal Because um, you've been told, you've been taught how to sell the American way. That's right, where we have to do elevator pitches and yeah. pitch to people constantly including yourself not just a business not just an idea but mm. you're and i guess social media is about personal branding and marketing and yeah but that changes kind of i guess how young people see these opportunities and these networking but if everything's a pitch but also okay this is what I want young people to do more of. I want them to try and imagine if they were that person. See it from the other person's point of view. If you are that person, if you're, let me tell you, if you are in any senior job, people, <laughs> people always are always approaching you, are always trying to get your attention, are always sort of, you know, trying to sell themselves to you. That's, that's just sort of standard. So how, how does someone cut through? Not by doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Not by doing the same thing. And think about it. If you were that person, what approach you would want? You know, if you, and you've got to really try and understand who they are. Because the only way you can really sort of connect with someone effectively is really understand who they are. Take the time to work out who they really are, what's going on, potentially in their life and and you know how how do I fit into that that's why I said if you just because if you're that person and you're doing something successful and you know a lot of people sort of want your time and you just get someone that just says to you thank you for what you're doing or you know however you say it and nothing else you're just like that's nice it's just nice Mm. to get that And it's great that you say that because my current job I actually got into through Twitter, which is such a random story. Mm. And um, and it was 
when I and I guess I didn't really know how to approach it but basically um, I am quite active on Twitter and there was a professor at a university who also worked in practice and he was just made uh, was appointed this new conjoint professorship role mm-hmm. and basically normally conjoint professors are only uh, for medical schools right. where current doctors um, are then able to leverage their professional practice and bring it into academia and really right. bring the two closer together and this was the first time it happened for uh, for architecture for the industry and um, I had just uh, tweeted a message I thought that was this is very groundbreaking this is interesting we need more of this mm-hmm. in our profession and mm. um, congratulating him on this not just for him getting the role but the fact that the university wanted something like this to happen yeah. within industry and I got a reply back um, and basically uh, the reply said that um, we should grab coffee and so I had no idea what this was about but went along with it and grabbed coffee and we had a very wonderful chat I mean I did I didn't know what it was about I wasn't mm. and obviously at that point uh, wasn't really looking at any new opportunities but also wanted to remind myself maybe there this isn't about new mm. opportunities and this is just someone genuinely interested in terms of mm. the work I've been doing the research I've been doing in housing and um, basically uh, it ended up with um, an opportunity because we talked about very similar topics Mm. And, um, so you was genuine, and the age difference, you know, didn't matter at you all. You know why? Because you already showed respect. So your example, thank you very much, is exactly what I was saying. And, and you I already wasn't did expecting it. Expecting anything out of it? But exactly. Something <laughs> happened. But that's the so, trick, right? You've got to get. You've got to be generous. You've got to not expect anything out of it. And I still catch up with this person every few months. Well, you just validate it. Because Mm. I am genuinely interested in what they do and what they do and who they are and how they do it. And um, yeah, that's see, you're already doing it. You already knew how to do it and you didn't even know you knew how to do it. And sometimes I think that happens in life. That, that we, it's when you're genuine, right? When you're really genuine about something, that's when it works. And if you try to do something and you're not really genuine about it, it's not going to work. It just doesn't. So you go back to who you really are. But also, it's that, it's that being appreciative of what other people offer. We've got to start to see more of and understand what other people offer and what they're doing rather than just only concentrating on what we offer because that's what you did you respected what they were doing you congratulate him on that and then all of a sudden he's interested in you because because you were you were genuine he could feel it you were genuine you were interested but i also have to admit at that point in time when that meeting happened i wasn't looking for very much any other opportunities i was in working for you and your yeah but that's i know (laughs) i know but that's good right but this is what i mean it's i think that's fine it's like this is that's how networking works at its best to be honest is that when you're really trying to connect with people for genuine reasons Mm -hmm. and the genuine reason is just that you appreciate them in some way right Um, and then it can be two years later that it will benefit you very rarely is it going to benefit you straight away right so it's not necessarily I'm going to do this and then I'll get exactly what I want when I want it's about building those networks based on respect mutual respect and then then it'll work for you in the longer term but it, it comes at its own time you know, it's not going to happen when you think it's going to happen. Absolutely. But getting back to, if we can, and I think this is for all generations because we're all obsessed with ourselves at the moment because we're all being told how to live our lives 
and how to do everything. <laughs> and we all feel like we have to be everything, do everything and follow this guide. If we can stop thinking about ourselves for five minutes and start looking out there at what other people are doing, amazing people doing, one, we'll be inspired, let ourselves be inspired again. But two, then we can, you know, start to build those networks and, you know, and think about what other people are doing. And then it's it's just nicer. It's it's because you you listen to it. And this is what I hope we do in these podcasts. You you hear someone else's story. It takes you out of your story for a while, which is quite relaxing. Because we're all in this world where we just they're making us think about ourselves every second of every bloody day for some reason. It's all making us think, oh, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. I need to do that, I should be doing that, I should be doing this. Should, mm-hmm. should, should, should. But really, if we can just relax a bit, take the foot off the pedal, it'll all work. It'll all work out in the end. Absolutely. It will. It will. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. We haven't gone into that much and we haven't talked much about who you are or what you've achieved, which I like in a way because I want to talk to you as a human first. Um, but I've, as with other people that I've interviewed, I think there's going to be a part two of Will later on. <laughs> but thank you so <laughs> much. So, thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks for-